He's a beacon, beacon, Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Good morning, Father. Get me out of the way that your truths would be lifted up. You'd be glorified. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would understand the Scriptures and obey. Because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in light of this exciting week, um, there was some topics that I wanted to talk about, but I'm going to put them off. Um, And I felt we should be heading into this direction. Um, We're coming into the holidays. We're coming into Christmas, Thanksgiving. And I thought it would be good to do a survey of one of the four Gospels to ground us more in who God is in Jesus. Um, If you've noticed, if any of you are paying attention to the media or social media, you'll notice that the, the, the side that did not win the election is lamenting, and they have their own sin list. Did you notice their sin list? This is the first time I started to hear it like a checklist. They had things like uh, homophobic, alienphobic, or whatever that word is, right? They had misogyny, right? Did I say that right? They have this checklist, and they're lamenting that all these particular sins are now blessed and are going to take place. But that's their sin list, So I'm very interested. I might take a week coming up and just itemize that sinless and compare it to God's sinless and see which one's uh, more evil, I guess. I don't know. See which one's a legitimate bedrock of morals and which one isn't because obviously one is not, right? But if half the country is lamenting that all these sins are now going to take place, Right? What's wrong? How could these people be so far from moral goodness? So, so far. And they are. Right? I make no bones about that. They are clearly not in God's checklist of the moral code at all. Yet they'll still grab love your neighbors yourself. And they'll give it this new list. So as we go into the Gospel of Mark... First, we need to do a bedrock. These people do not know God. Because if they knew God, they would know what their Bible said, and that would be the final authority in their life. It isn't. TV and media is their final authority in life. Whatever's popular is the final authority in their life. Science is their religion, but not God. Secular humanism is their doctrine of death. Right? It's all there. They'll fight, they'll disagree, they'll squirm, and you can't rationalize with them because it's like arguing with smoke. You know, you can't grab a truth and put a bedrock under it because they'll, they'll slime away from it because lost people don't, don't put a foundation on truth. So what we're going to do is we're going to secure up your bedrock of truth and we're going to look at the the fast action-packed gospel of Mark. Because we need to know some things about God and here's a great place to start, like the gospels. Whenever you read your Bibles, you want to know when it was written, who wrote it, why did they write it, those simple things. Who was it written to? 
Right? Now, if I was to, if someone's to ask you if you take your Bible literally, for me, I take my Bible literally. And now, just like the same I would take the newspaper literally, if you read the front page of the newspaper, you normally have historical events, because it happened the day before, most likely. If you go into the comics, you have a different genre. If you go into the sports stats, you have a different genre explaining truths or events that happened in history. Scripture is full of different genres, right? Psalms are poetry. The Gospels are historical narratives. And so we read them literally, because that's the only way you can read literature. Big, big jump there. So let's take a look at this. Mark. Who wrote Mark? Mark did. Okay? There's a clue is in the name. How do we know Mark wrote it? Because it doesn't say the gospel according to Mark in the Bible. Now, but she's like, yes, it does. My Bible's titled with it, right? I'm sure yours is. That's not, that's not God-ordained. Humans put that in to help us identify these letters. The content itself is where we start to get clues. But here, early church fathers, we're talking second generation, that were writing, were citing, this guy especially, cited and claimed that, yeah, truly, John Mark, is his full name, um, wrote the Gospel according to Mark. Here's a quote from him from, I don't know, I want to call him Pappas. But, uh, and the elder said this, Mark became an interpreter of Peter as many things as he remembered he wrote down accurately, though certainly not in order, the things said or done by the Lord. This is a quote from an early church father. So in other words, all that to say that even the early church knew that John Mark, who was a counterpart and is in the scriptures along with Paul and along with Peter, was... Um, Put, uh, but the apostles gave Mark the job to collect these writings down. So this is blessed by the apostles. All right. Also, it's the earliest gospel because in it, nothing is mentioned about the fall of Jerusalem, which is in 70 AD. So it's before Rome destroyed Jerusalem. And so its authorship is as early as 55 A.D. So he's rubbing shoulders with the apostles. Mark's got connections. First, we're going to look at Mark's connections throughout the rest of Scripture. And his full name is John Mark, and we'll see, we may see that, or I may have cut it. Yeah, there it is. First, in Acts 12.12, 12, Peter rubbed shoulders with him. Uh, when he realized that Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. All right, This is after Peter's escape from jail, and he runs off, right? So there's John Mark right there, and Peter writes about Mark in 1 Peter. So if you remember a couple months ago, we were asking, why is the canon closed? Why is there no more Bibles written, right? Or books for the Bible? Well, here's a part of how... The Gospel of John distinguishes itself and yet interconnects because here you have Acts and First Peter connecting Mark together. So you see all this together and it links itself. Uh, Peter writes about Mark in First Peter 5.13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings and so does Mark, my son. So Peter thought he was very close considered him very close to call him a son, all right? In other words, he was discipling him. 
Here's another one. Uh, Mark bails on Paul and Barnabas. There is a big famous fight in Acts that people look over, but we'll bring it up. But in Acts 13.13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia, Pergia and that place. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John says, had enough. You crazy short-term missions trips. I'm out of here. I'm going home. All right. But later on, uh, Mark wanted to be part of the team. And Barnabas is, is known as the son of encouragement. Says, yeah, let's take him with us. But it didn't go so well. So let's look at Acts 15, 37-40. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. and But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in that place. I want to call it Pampers. And had... Who? Pamphylia. Pamphylia, thank you. And had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. All right, so here's two church leaders, right? They're out there going after the Gentiles and the Jews all over the place, and they get in such a fight over John Mark that they split. The big, you know, that's, that's some controversy. So obviously, growing churches is not always a smooth road, even among the leaders. But Paul trusts in Mark again, and we see that in 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And that's writing his uh, letters to uh, teach young preachers. Okay? So that's who Mark is. What we're going to do is just look at a quick outline of just the beginning of Mark. Now, in the past, I've gone through literally chapter and verse, but this time I'm going to go through a survey, and you have the entire outline over just a few short weeks. And that's why I want you to read the Gospel of of Mark, so that, and read it, read it with the play button, watch the videos, there's so much great media on it. Know this book, all right? Um, get, Get it in your head, let it sink in. Here's the, here's the overall timeline, or the, uh, the way it's broken down that I'm going to use. First, we have the preparation for Jesus' ministry. Then, his ministry to Galilee. Then, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. His ministry in Jerusalem. His suffering and death in Jerusalem. His resurrection and appearances. The Great Commission and continued work from heaven. All right? This book is just a slam dunk that Jesus is the Messiah that's been coming, and this is what it's all about. So let's jump into that. Uh, The preparation of Jesus' ministry. Here's how Mark 1.1 begins. This is is the verse, Mark 1.1. We're going to unpack this more at the very end, but look at this. This guy's pulling no punches. Uh, how do you know Jesus Christ is God? How can you trust this? All right, The beginning of the gospel, good news, of Jesus the Messiah. You know, Jesus' last name is not Christ. Just in case you thought that was his last name. It's not. 
It means Messiah, which means anointed one. It means the whole Old Testament was coming up for this word. The Christ, the Messiah. It's all about Yeshua, God saves, Messiah, the anointed one. So Mark is right out of the gate saying, this is God. And then he says, the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark 1, 1. Right out of the gate. He wants to make things perfectly clear. He's going to build you a case that Jesus is who he says he is. Was he a disciple? No. He was not a disciple. Okay, so he wasn't one of the disciples? Correct. Wow. He was the follower that came. Yep. Probably a fruit of the ministry. They made a disciple who loved God and people. There it is. Oh, well said. I'm going to amp- I'm going to turn that up and make sure it's part of the podcast. Okay. Mark 1, 2, and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. In Mark 1, 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So not only does Mark go ahead and declare who Jesus is, but then he goes on to start getting Old Testament prophecies. See, boom, let's connect the dots. And he pulls from Isaiah and from Micah. Here's Isaiah 43 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, so immediately he goes and he starts quoting from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. And then he goes to Malachi, uh, which I have the tendency to pronounce as Malachi. But it's the last, now this is the last prophet for over 400 years between that and the Gospels, between when John the Baptist comes on the scene. That's, yep. So there was silence in Israel for 400 years. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's a character. So what happens is, could we have another prophet? Is, you know, finally, after 400 years of silence. Does anyone know what it's called between the Old Testament and the New Testament? The Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. The... Intertestamental period, right? I know that was all just rolling off your tongues. The intertestamental period. And that's where you have like the Maccabean revolts and a lot of bad stuff take place for the Jews. Malachi 3.1 Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Alright, so all this building, and this is Malachi, right? Malachi. And this is where it ends. And then then there's silence for 400 years. Now keep in mind, America is what? 250 years old, give or take a few? Right? Maybe a decade? Right. So, that's a long time for God to be silent. 
And then, of course, now perfectly, we go from here to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, Mark 1, 4, and 5. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. All right, so there's a lot to say about John. I'd love to do like a character study of him, but since I didn't do that, I won't say too much. Um, Verse 6, Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. That is not how your typical Israelite dressed back then. That's what made him unique. And his diet was unusual as well. All right? I can't imagine the type of meals he would make out of that. Uh, <laughs> but people did not necessarily wear camel hair cloaks and clothes. They were wearing better fabrics and such uh, and, and different material. So he's unusual, he's not hanging around Jerusalem, he's out at the Jordan, and he's shouting for people to repent, turn from their ways and ask God for forgiveness. Because he says, God is coming. You know, make way, God is coming, repent now. Right? Today they all call him nut and lock him up. Right. There's someone out there again. Well, they did check it out. So in verse 7, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's prepping people. And these people are like, what? Well, we better get ready if God's coming, right? This mighty king, because they believed that their Messiah was going to come and beat Rome down, right? Kill the enemies and then become the king of the world. So let's just get ourselves right. It's not like an internal repentance, even though that's what John was asking them to do. Hey, repent of your sin. And they're like, you know, they're not exactly repentant as we'd hoped they would be. However... Part of that was also to identify this one who was coming after him. And we see that in Mark 9 and 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. All right. Now, John wasn't alone here. There was Jesus, there was a crowd, and then he comes up out of the water. This supernatural event takes place, and most importantly, you hear God's voice, which is God saying, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I can't imagine that. Right. It's crazy. What makes us cool, though, is... Now, let's look at this image again, right? Here's the Messiah coming up. Here's the Holy Spirit descending, and we hear God's voice. What do we see in this narrative? That's right. The triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So next time the Mormons come to your door, just go read them Mark 10 and 11. There you go. All right? Mark 12 and 13. 
the Spirit, that's capital S Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. All right, a lot was going on here. God's already identified who Jesus is in front of witnesses. The Holy Spirit dwells upon him. God the Father speaks out who he is. And then immediately he's sent into the wilderness to be tested by the enemy. It's not that Jesus was out there doubting who he was. It's so that the devil gets a chance to use him as a punching bag as his first test. And angels were coming down and ministering to him. And the, you know, and the wilderness out there is not like when you think West Virginia wilderness. Just so you know, if uh, think that I liken it to a big giant ashtray, uh, and that's the Judean wilderness. It's basically it's like no brush. It's just rocks and dirt and dust and dead donkeys and and uh, and very hot and dry. Not a pleasant place to hang out. And that's where Jesus is hanging out. So I'm going to, this is what I want to spend just a little more heat and light on right here. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What I want to make sure you realize, and I want to make sure you live this life, that Jesus is your Lord. It's called Lordship. Lord means, Lord means that Jesus is the boss, your boss. You get your marching orders from Him. You get your moral code from Him. Not from the world, not from what's popular on TV, not from what's popular in social media, but what God says, whether it's popular or not. And right now, by the grace of God, we may have a we may have a four year reprieve of the world coming at us. But the culture is still not only on a collision course; they've already collided with this moral code that God has given us. But they're trying to crush it. The battle has already been engaged. The enemy has hit the battle lines and are now trying to put down God. Right, And they're sad that for now their plan has been slowed down. But the good news, gospel means good news of Yeshua Messiah, the Son of God. And we need to yield to that. If God tells you to do something, is it a suggestion or a command? It's a command. Does that give you the option not to do it? No. Not unless you're in rebellion, right? Here's the last slide. And I want to make sure. I want you, I want Paul Paul Bible Church people to be overcomers. Okay? You're in a town where they just voted in that you can now go drinking two hours ago. You can start. Has anyone ever heard of non intoxicating alcohol? Right? That was actually on the West Virginia ballot. Non intoxicating alcohol. How does that work? You just sip at it? Just a little bit? No. All right? It means one serving won't get you. You've got to get two or three or four. Wow. That's all it means. And that's how they wrote it in the ballot. Non-intoxicating alcohol. Eh? Right? They have to lie to push evil. It's part of the nature of evil. But I want you all to be overcomers. Know who your Savior is and obey Him Never let the world keep you from church. 
Never let the world keep you from church. And let me say this. If there was ever a time to tell somebody to go to you know where, it's the world when they're trying to keep you from church. You get up in the morning and the world says, "Uh, don't you got this and this and this to do? Bug off, and I'm saying that very nicely, on my agenda is going to church because that's where the saints are gathering to study the Word of God so that our hearts and our soul and our mind will be conformed to the image of Christ. By all means, you fight that fight, especially when the only enemy now is your flesh and the world. Right now, the government... Ain't going to stop you. You got our little reprieve. You run in that grace while it lasts. So I want you to be an overcomer. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What does Mark 1.1 say? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are you an overcomer? Or not. I'm an overcomer by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakanddeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakanddeacon.com. Truth is here.